neat to see the young people learning how to play together and learn how to lead us in worship. I'm really excited about our, what we're calling our Unleashed Worship Team program and how it's moving forward and how the teens are growing in their ability to, um, to lead us in worship and understand what worship is, worshiping Jesus Christ in spirit and in truth. I will never forget the last moments of communication I had with my, with my grandma Zarnicki, my mom's mom. I had, uh, my mom and I had come to her hospital room and she had her final stroke, which had taken her voice away. But she could still interact and she could still look around and she liked to hear me sing. And so my mom thought, hey, Michael, why don't you sing It Is Well With My Soul? I think she'd really like to hear you sing that. And so I came next to my, my grandma's bedside and I sang It Is Well With My Soul for her and and she looked up at me with those sparkling eyes and, and grasped my hand and squeezed it twice as if to say, I love you. Thank you. And I know it's well with my soul too, Michael. And it was well with her soul because just a couple weeks before then, she had trusted in Jesus Christ as her personal Savior before her final stroke. Those were the last moments of communication I had with my grandma. And maybe you remember those last words that you had with somebody who you dearly love. Maybe your grandfather, your grandmother, your father, maybe your mother, maybe a son or a daughter, maybe an aunt or an uncle. And you remember what they said, and it seemed like those words just emblazoned into your heart and into your mind. And maybe for you, those phrases like, live for what really matters, or take time to love, or be strong in the faith. Maybe those phrases just come to mind at the right moment, just when you need them most. And maybe you remember those last words from somebody you really loved, and you still cling to that. You still remember that moment. You still remember those last words with, with someone like, like my grandma. I remember my, my great-grandfather Feldbush, Alvin Feldbush. He was a godly, godly man who loved the Lord. He prayed all the time. And I remember before he got really ill, he, he had these huge, callous, what I call farmer's hands. He grew up as a sharecropper in southern Indiana. And, and he, would just, he would just pray and pray and pray. And I remember he put his big, callous farmer's hand on my, my little patch of fur when I was about eight seven, eight years old, and he'd pray for me. I remember when he got up in years, in his long life, he lived till he was almost 94. I remember before he lost his ability to communicate clearly, my Aunt Sharon grabbed a tape recorder and just had him pour out his story, those last words of wisdom and love for great-grandpa Feldbush so they could be passed on to generations to come. I like to find that tape recording sometime. I've never heard it. And as I was thinking about the last words of Paul to Timothy, I thought about these last moments that I had with somebody that I really loved, those last words, and what that means to me, and maybe what that means to you. This is the setting that we find this last letter, Paul's second letter to Timothy. Paul, at the end of 2 Timothy, he makes it clear. He confides in Timothy almost, and he says, "...the time for my departure is at hand." I have run the race. I have competed well. I have finished the course. I'm going to die soon. And it sounds like he's he feeling the effect of the oncoming winter. He tells Timothy, come quickly. 
Come before winter, he says, and bring the coat that I left with, in Troas with Carpus, because that's what happens when you get older. I think you start to feel the cold faster. That's what I've heard. I still kind of feel it. I got frostbite in my hands a lot because I played hockey outside, and those are, my hands start hurting when it gets cold outside because I got frostbite oh, so many times. Not really bad, but first-degree frostbite in my hands. And, and so Paul's feeling the effects of his age, and he's getting cold. And, and he's not in a, in a house arrest situation like earlier on in the New Testament. This time he's in a cold, dark dungeon. The persecution under Nero, the emperor, is getting worse. It's escalating. It's getting really bad. And so people are, that follow Jesus Christ in this setting of in living in the Roman Empire are facing the onset of severe persecution. This letter, and this is a flyover, if this is your first time visiting Evangel on a Sunday night, we're going through a flyover series through each book of the Bible, and we're at 2 Timothy. Just thought I'd throw that in. And, and in 2 Timothy, this letter was written probably AD 67. And in 64, this great fire, maybe you've heard of this in, in your history lessons of Roman civilization, a great fire swept through Rome and it burned the city. Huge chunks of the city were burned to the ground. And, Ro- and, and Nero got really fearful because people started blaming it on him. It probably was him because this by, by this time he was probably losing his mind from... Uh, his crazy lifestyle. I don't want to go into all the details because he was rather a nutcase. Nero was fanatical. And so here he is in Rome and he starts blaming the Christians for this great fire that swept through. And so he now has uh, this grounds to start persecuting Christians. And so Christians are getting burned at the stake. They, you've probably heard me say this before. They've turned, he's starting to dip them in wax and use them as candles in his courtyard. Yeah, that's this Nero guy. He was a wacko. He was a persecutor of Christians to the nth degree. And Paul knows this. It's going on and he's saying, either I'm going to die from old age. He doesn't say that specifically, but you kind of get that feeling like he's getting older. He's feeling the cold. He's in a dungeon. Or I'm going to be, tradition says, right after this letter was written or shortly thereafter he was beheaded by the Roman Empire. And so Paul is not doesn't have much left in this world. He doesn't have much time left. And, and as Timothy receives this letter and he reads these words from the Apostle Paul, you get this feeling that Timothy had to be crying when he received this letter. He had to be, he had to be filled with sadness, tears of sadness, also tears of joy at one hand, because, hey, I, I, he got a letter from his, his, a man who's become his spiritual father, like a father he never really had. And so he's, he's got to be crying by this point when he gets to the end of the letter and it's really clear that Paul wants him to come quickly. He may not even make it in time. Timothy may not even make it in time. We don't know for sure whether Timothy makes it to Paul before he's beheaded. And this letter would have meant a lot to Timothy. I'm sure every single word of this letter was emblazoned forever on the heart and mind of Timothy. And I'm sure as soon as he got this letter, which I printed off in parchment paper for you, I'm sure they stood up and they read it before the congregation, which is actually what we're going to do in a few minutes. But before that, I want you to follow me on a flashback through history. Why Paul means so much to Timothy. Why he probably had tears streaming down his face. Why it meant so much to receive these last words 
from the man who had become his, his spiritual father, the one who had guided him in the faith. See, Timothy was a societal outcast. He was a reject. Why? Because his, his mother was a Jew and his father was a Greek. So he was the laughingstock of Greeks and Romans. He was, a, it was the point of their jokes. And he was a reject by the Jews because he didn't fit. You know, you're like, well, you're just, you're just not up to snuff. You're just not going to, you know, you can only go into this part of the synagogue, perhaps. So you, can, you can't go into that part of the temple area. And, and so to the young Timothy, it seemed like he had no hope, no future. He was a reject. And then this guy Paul comes to town. The Apostle Paul comes to Lystra on his first missionary journey to Iconium and Lystra. Remember in Acts chapter 14, his first missionary journey. And Apostle Paul comes there and he sees this man who's lame, who can't walk. Because he's lame from birth. So he's, he, can't, he can't get around and, at all. And in that society, that meant you were basically at the whims of people who maybe were nice enough to toss you a coin or give you a loaf of bread. And so Paul sees this man, and God moves through Paul to heal this lame man. And the townspeople in Lystra get all excited, and they're, oh, wow, this man who's been, who's been lame from birth has been healed on the spot. And so they start worshiping Barnabas and Paul as Zeus and Hermes. And they get really excited about it. By the, and then it says that in Acts chapter 14 that this leader of, the, of a priest, really, of the temple of Zeus comes over because he hears all this big commotion and he brings wreaths, you know, and he's ready to just have this big fanatical pagan worship session for Paul and Barnabas, Hermes and Zeus. And Paul and Barnabas start figuring out what's going on here and then they start preaching the gospel and condemning the pagan religions that these people are involved in. But the people keep on worshiping Paul and Barnabas as Hermes and Zeus. It's crazy. It's crazy. And, and so then they're unable to stop these people. And Jews come from another neighboring city, Antioch, the city, and other places. And, and they start telling people, no, Paul and Barnabas are imposters. So haul them out of the city. So that's what they do. They haul them out of the city. At least it explicitly says they haul Paul out of the city. And then they stone Paul to the point where they thought he was dead. A great way to start reaching an unreached people group, I would think. Right? You go off in the city, and then you get stoned to the point where you think you're—they think you're dead. But then these disciples, people who are already believing in Jesus, maybe from that time when Paul and Barnabas first preached the gospel there, or maybe they've come from from Jerusalem or from other places where the gospel has come, and and they gather around Paul, thinking he's dead. Check his pulse. He's dead. Oh man, what are we gonna do? Send his body back to Jerusalem. I don't know. <sighs> Barnabas is standing around. I don't know why they didn't stone Barnabas. I, can, I try to answer that question, but it's not there. Barnabas, maybe... I've heard some conjectures, but we won't go there. Barnabas, maybe he was a bigger guy. I don't know. Maybe he wasn't the one... Conde- I don't know. Paul was probably the speaker. So they're like, he's the main instigator. Stone him. So they think he's dead. Paul gets up. And walks back in the city. Did you get that? Yeah, they thought he was dead. They threw rocks at him so many times. He was bruised, probably with broken bones. They thought he was laying there dead, unconscious. And he gets back up and walks back into Lystra with Barnabas. That's crazy. That's a miracle. He gets back 
and walks back into Lystra. Later on, they go to the, the next day, they go to another city, but then they go back to Iconium and Lystra again. Then move forward to the second missionary journey. Some time has passed, and, and Paul ends up going back to Lystra, and he encounters, maybe for the first time, maybe he's met Timothy before, we're not sure, but he meets Timothy, or he hears from other believers in this area that Timothy has gained a really good reputation as a follower of Jesus. And so he meets Timothy, and he says, hey, you want to go with me as a missionary? Timothy, a, a reject, a societal outcast, the scorn of jokes, or the, the, the point of jokes for the Greeks, the Romans, the Jews, they suddenly this man, the great apostle Paul, the guy who was stoned to death, they thought, and then walked back into our city, he wants to take me on a missionary journey? Wow. We find out that his grandmother and his mother are really faithful and taught him the scriptures from the time he was really, really young. You'll see that in 2 Timothy. And so they're faithful women in his life, but the, the dad, nothing said about him. He's a Greek. Maybe Timothy was like a mistake or something. He's like, oh, son, what am I going to do with that? And Paul says, I'm going to take you with me. I'm going to take you with me, and I'll be like a father to you. And in this letter to, to Timothy, he says over and over, my son or my child, my son, my child, my child, my son. I, I remember you, the tears that you had for me, probably at their last parting. And I want you to come quickly so, so that I can have joy again. Timothy means so much to Paul, and Paul means so much to Timothy. It's a father-son relationship. Timothy was guided and led by Paul, taught about preaching the gospel, experienced all kinds of things, I'm sure, on the missionary journeys. And so Timothy receives this, this letter from Paul. So what we're going to do now is what they did probably in Ephesus. See, Paul later on left Timothy in Ephesus to lead the congregation there. Big job for a guy about my age probably. It was a growing church, and there were serious problems going on. See, persecution was mounting, I already mentioned that, escalating under Nero in this time period. But also some leaders, other leaders in the church, are beginning to not like Timothy's leadership. Every pastor's experienced that. And as a young guy, that's really hard. An older man or some, you know, a patriarch, matriarch saying, I don't like what you're doing here. I don't like what you're doing here. I don't like what you're doing here. And, the, and then, aside from those people, there are other teachers, false teachers in this area, gaining not just little followings, but they've developed what John MacArthur calls sophisticated systems of deceptions who are gaining big followings, and they're not teaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul writes to Timothy to encourage him in a big way about the gospel and so when Paul got, or when Timothy got this letter in Ephesus, he read it probably with tears in his eyes, and then he probably, not probably, he did read it before the entire congregation from start to finish. Yeah, from start to finish. In 1 Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, don't neglect the public reading of Scripture. And in this letter, he says, preach the word, kruzantan lagon, preach the message, herald the good news, whether it's convenient or not, that's what it really means, in season or out of season. When it's convenient or not, preach the word. Read the scripture. 
proclaim the message. So, what we're going to do is I want you to think about this setting. Last words from the Apostle of Grace, the Apostle of Grace. I'd like us to all stand, if you're able. And I know there's some little children in the house, and if, so things can get squirmy, and that's okay. I have a three-year-old and an 11-month-old. That's all right. And this, uh, this translation from the letter, I hope you'll find a little bit interesting, cause, uh, or a little bit more outside of maybe the way you've heard the letter before. Last words from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, sent to proclaim the promised life which we have in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. I give thanks to God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did. I thank him as I remember you always in my prayers, night and day. I remember your tears and how I want to see you very much, so that I may be filled with joy. I remember the sincere faith you have, the kind of faith that your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice also had. I am sure that you have it also. For this reason, I remind you to keep alive the gift that God gave you when I laid my hands on you, For the spirit that God has given us does not make us timid. Instead, his spirit fills us with power, love, and self-control. Do not be ashamed, then, of witnessing for our Lord. Neither be ashamed of me, a prisoner for Christ's sake. Instead, take your part in suffering for the good news, as God gives you the strength for it. He saved us and called us to be his own people. Not because of what we have done, but because of his own purpose And grace. He gave us this grace by means of Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but now it has been revealed to us through the coming of our Savior, Christ Jesus. He has ended the power of death and through the gospel has revealed immortal life. God has appointed me as an apostle and teacher to proclaim the good news. And it is for this reason that I suffer these things. But I am still full of confidence because I know whom I have trusted. And I am sure that he is able to keep safe until that day what he has entrusted to me. Hold firmly to the true words that I taught you as the example for you to follow. And remain in the faith and love that are ours in union with Christ Jesus. Through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, keep the good things that have been entrusted to you. You know that everyone in the province of Asia, including Phygelus and Hermogenes, has deserted me. May the Lord show mercy to the family of Anesphorus, because he cheered me up in many times. He was not ashamed that I am in prison, but as soon as he arrived in Rome, he started looking for me until he found me in a dungeon. That did May the Lord grant him his mercy on that day. And you know very well how much he did for me in Ephesus. As for you, my son, be strong through the grace that is ours in union with Christ Jesus. Take the teachings that you heard me proclaim in the presence of many witnesses and entrust them to reliable people who will be able to teach others also. Take your part 
in suffering as a loyal soldier of Christ Jesus, a soldier on active duty, wants to please his commanding officer, and so does not get mixed up in the affairs of civilian life. An athlete who runs in a race cannot win the prize unless he obeys the rules. The farmer who has done the hard work should have the first share of the harvest. Think about what I'm saying. Because the Lord will enable you to understand it all. Remember Jesus Christ, who was raised from death, who was a descendant of David, as is taught in the gospel I preach. Because I preach the good news, I suffer, and I am even chained like a criminal. But the word of God is not in chains, and so I endure everything for the sake of God's chosen people, in order that I may too obtain the salvation that comes through Christ Jesus and brings eternal glory This is a true saying. If we have died with him, we shall also live with him. If we continue to endure, we shall also rule with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are not faithful, he remains faithful, since he cannot deny himself. Remind your people of this and give them a solemn warning in God's presence not to fight over words. It does no good but only ruins the people who listen. Do your best to win full approval in God's sight as a worker who is not ashamed of his work, one who correctly teaches the message of God's truth. Keep away from profane and foolish discussions which only drive people farther away from God. Such teaching is like an open sore that eats away the flesh. Two men who have taught such things are Hymenaeus and Philetus. They have left the way of truth, and are upsetting the faith of some believers by saying that our resurrection has already taken place. But the solid foundation that God has laid cannot be shaken, and on it are written these words, the Lord knows those who are his, and those who say that they belong to the Lord must turn away from wrongdoing. In a large house there are dishes and bowls of all kinds. Some are made of silver and gold, others of wood and clay. Some are for special occasions, others are for ordinary use. Those who make themselves clean from all those evil things will be used for special purposes because they are dedicated and useful to their master, ready to be used for every good deed. Avoid the passions of youth and strive for righteousness, faith, love, and peace together with those who with a pure heart call out to the Lord for help. But keep away from foolish and ignorant arguments, you know, that end up in quarrels. You know that they end up in quarrels. As the Lord's servant, you must not quarrel. You must be kind toward all, a good and patient teacher who is gentle as you correct your opponents. For it may be that God will give them the opportunity to repent and come to know the truth. And then they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who had caught them and made them obey his will. Are your knees getting sore yet? (laughs) If they are, you can take a seat. But I'm going to keep standing. Remember that there will be difficult times in the last days. People will be selfish, greedy, boastful, and conceited. They will be insulting, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, and irreligious. They will be unkind, merciless, slanderers, violent, and fierce. They will hate the good. They will be treacherous, reckless, and swollen with pride. They will love pleasure rather than God. 
They will hold to the outward form of our religion, but reject its real power. Keep away from such people. Some of them go into people's houses and gain control over weak women who are burdened by the guilt of their sins and driven by all kinds of desires. Women who are always trying to learn, but who can never come to know the truth. As Jonas and Jambres were opposed to Moses, so also these people are opposed to the truth. People whose minds do not function and who are failures in the faith, but they will not get very far because everyone will see how foolish they are. This is just what happened to Jonas and Jambres. But you, however, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, and my purpose in life. You have observed my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions, and my sufferings. You know all that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the terrible persecutions I endured. But the Lord rescued me from them all. Now, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And evil persons and impostors will keep on going from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived themselves. But as for you, continue in the truths that you were taught and firmly believe. You know who your teachers were, and you remember that ever since you were a child, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching rebuking error, correcting faults, and giving instruction for right living so that the person who serves God may be fully qualified and equipped to do every kind of good deed. Before I read this last chapter, refresh the image in your mind. It's nearing the end. And just as if you were gathered around the bedside of someone you really, really love, your grandfather, your grandmother, your father, your mother, you kind of lean in close. Lean in close to this. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and because he is coming to rule as king, I solemnly urge you to preach the word, to insist upon proclaiming it, whether it is convenient or not, to convince, reproach, and encourage as you teach with all patience, the time will come when people will not listen to sound doctrine, but will follow their own desires and will collect for themselves more and more teachers who will tell them what they are itching to hear because they have an insatiable curiosity to hear new things. They will turn away from listening to the truth and give their attention to legends. But you must keep control of yourself in all circumstances. Endure suffering, do the work of a preacher of the good news, and perform your whole duty as a servant of God. As for me, the hour has come for me to be sacrificed. The time is here for me to leave this life. I have done my best in the race. I have run the full distance, and I have kept the faith. And now there is waiting for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who wait with love for him to appear. Do your best to come to me soon. Demas fell in love with this present world and has deserted me. 
going off to Thessalonica. Cretans went to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he can help me in the work. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring my coat that I left in Troas with Carpus. Bring the books, too, and especially the ones made of parchment. Alexander the metal worker did me great harm. The Lord will reward him according to what he has done. Be on your guard against him yourself because he was violently opposed to our message. No one stood by me the first time I defended myself. All deserted, deserted me. May God not count it against them. But the Lord stayed with me and gave me strength so that I was able to proclaim the full message for all the Gentiles to hear. And I was rescued from being sentenced to death. And the Lord will rescue me from all evil and take me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I send greetings to Priscilla and Aquila and to the family of Anesphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus in Miletus because he was sick. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, and Claudius send their readings. And so do all the other Christians. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. You may be seated. That is Paul's last inspired letter in the New Testament. This is the last one. These are his last words, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that are contained in the New Testament. These are his last written words to Timothy. And there's three or four simple things that Paul wants to try to communicate to Timothy. Thank you, by the way, for going through all that. I know it's outside of the box, and I do crazy things sometimes. But I thought, man... If it's a flyover and we can read it in 12 minutes, which is how fast I read it when I practiced, we got to just do that. Let's just do it. I mean, from the man who said, do the public reading of Scripture, we get a letter inspired by the Spirit to Timothy and to the church in Ephesus. Let's just read it. And there's so much concrete advice in this, it's unbelievable. You don't really have to branch out in a lot of illustrations to get the fact like, there are slanderers, the immoral, there are people who are out who you need to realize the darkness of this day, so continue in the Word of God. I mean, that's pretty concrete, right? And we think about our world here and the culture that we live in, it's really this very, very similar. Very, very similar. People are opposed to the message we want to preach. They're opposed to the gospel truth. They're opposed to the Word of God. From the top of our government all the way down to the average citizen, they don't have any tolerance for hearing the preaching and the Word of God. They'd rather get their ears tickled with the curiosity of new things. And there are lots of pastors who are coming up with new ideas about how to communicate what they think about God and kind of twisting and distorting this book and what is clearly given in the Scriptures. So there's all kinds of direct parallels. But there are four movements in the four chapters And we're going to walk through in this flyover, which is not a normal kind of message or sermon. It's a little different. But there are four main movements in this. And the first one is guard the gospel. You heard it. Paul says, listen, Timothy, I've entrusted you with a message. So give it to other reliable men who can teach others also. 
And there are some clearly, and, and you know, when somebody gets up in age, and one time I heard Chuck Swindoll, he was preaching in chapel to us, and I think he always preached his hardest at us, at chapel and seminary. And, and one time he said, you know, when you get my age, I think he was like 74 or something, you just say what you want to say. And you just cut to the chase, and you don't really give a care what people are going to think. If you know what's right, and he's like, I'm just going to say this. Just lay it on straight. And, and Paul, in this letter, is inspired by the Spirit to give and to call out particular sins and call out particular people more than any other letter that I've read of his in the New Testament. He calls out names. You heard them. Hermogenes, Demas, uh, these other people in the church, some unnamed, some named. He calls out a whole list of sins. Things that are driving people off the path. Things that he wants to guard Timothy from. And so the first thing is guard the gospel. Guard the gospel. If you, if you want to look at your parchment, you can. It might be a little easier, though, if you have your, your Bible with you, to turn to 2 Timothy so you can see the verses as I refer to them. I tried to construct this piece of paper in a way that would look similar to the way they got it, with no verse numerations no chapter markings. That's how they would have received it. One letter, altogether, read from start to finish. But in Second Timothy, the first chapter, there's the theme of he's 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 the, he's Paul's son in the faith. Paul's poured his life into Timothy, and now he's saying, Timothy, I want you to pour your life into other men like I've poured my life into you, to reliable men. Be diligent to do that. You've got to guard the gospel because there are people who are going to distort it. I'm going to call out a name. Yikes. There's a guy who's maybe 10 years older than me, maybe, maybe 15 years older than me now. But he gained the hearing of an entire generation, mine, Generation X, Y, the 30-somethings, 20-somethings. He grew up in Michigan, lived in Grand Rapids. His father was a judge, I think a federal judge. He grew up in a conservative Baptist Bible background. He went to seminary, went to a good church. The church sent him out to plant a church outside of Grand Rapids. The church grew by leaps and bounds. And this guy's a really good communicator, really good at speaking, really good at writing, really good at creative audiovisual presentations, movie series of Bible teaching that sold thousands and thousands of copies. Some of them are probably used here before this guy went off the rails theologically. And his name is Rob Bell. You've heard that name. But, but he had a background not really any different than any young person in this room. He heard the gospel. He learned the word of God. His parents, his grandparents, all born-again believers. And he went off to be trained in the Word of God, became a pastor, ordained, and then later on in his ministry, Rob Bell decided to distort the gospel. I, I could go into all the reasons why, but you probably just glaze over. Big reason was, though, I heard he and his wife talking about it, and they said, we really started to change what we taught people when we realized that the book was really predominantly influenced by humans rather than by God. 
that the Bible really is predominantly a human book about experiences with God rather than an inspired book written by God. One that, that God inspired through the Holy Spirit, inspired men to write down these words without error. So they, they pushed that doctrine aside, and that started to kind of like crumble away their foundation. And then, a few years later, he started redefining the resurrection. Our resurrection, like when we die and then Christ returns, what happens? You know, what will that look like? But also the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself, redefining resurrection, the whole teaching on resurrection. And then his latest book, which got him booted out of the church that he planted, essentially. That's a synopsis, but that's kind of what happened. Love wins. I believe love wins, too, but not in the way Rob Bell does. As Pastor Pine preached this morning, God wins in the end. But love wins had a whole different view that basically said, in the end, there's going to be kind of a grand second chance for people. And it's going to be all rooted in the love of God. And God is going to love everybody so much that it doesn't really matter what you do with Jesus in this life. When you die, there'll be like another... And, and you'll, everybody will have another chance, and probably everybody will go to heaven and be with God. Universalism! Beep, 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 beep! <laughs> he kind of fancied up and said it's Trinitarian universalism. You can ask him about that later, because he wanted this to remain an evangelical belief, but he didn't. He, did, he started viewing the Bible differently, and then started pulling the rug out from under main doctrines of our faith. And that's what people were doing when Timothy was pastoring Ephesus, and that's what people are doing today. Rob Bell's not the only one. I wrote a thesis, my master's thesis, on a bunch of guys that are twisting the faith. Doug Paget, Brian McLaren, Tony Jones, Phyllis Tickle, Erwin McMahon. I go on a whole list of people who are distorting the faith in our generation who have a way bigger crowd than what we have here tonight. Way bigger. Timothy had to feel the pull. Like, well, I don't know. I mean, look over here. Hundreds of people are following this guy. And people over here, I mean, my own congregation doesn't like me. And Paul says, guard the gospel. Guard it. I entrusted this message to you. You know, you know what I preached, what we've gone through. Stay true to the faith. The second one is enduring the gospel. Sufferings are going to come. Sufferings are going to come. Endure in the gospel. Endure in the faith. If you are faithful to the gospel, if you preach the word, you're going to face persecution. And none of us like the sound of that word. I don't think I like the sound of I just don't. I mean, suffering and persecution. And you and I would say, you know, persecution is probably coming to the United States sooner than we'd like. And we get all grim-faced about that, you know. But it's the truth. And Paul says really clearly, he says, all who, let's see if I can find it here, now without my parchment paper. (laughs) All who follow Jesus Christ, the basic idea is, will suffer persecution. And then he gives these, before that, he gives these three really kind of cool illustrations. A soldier... We've got soldiers in the church. A soldier who has enlisted in being 
in military life, doesn't get caught up in the affairs of civilian life. Aaron Good is in basic training right now, getting trained and honed and whipped into shape and getting yelled at every day, I'm sure. For no reason at all. No, a really good reason. They want him disciplined. They want him to know what he's supposed to do when they tell him what he's supposed to do. Immediately. And so he's on this training course to get down the basics and to work hard, to be diligent, to be disciplined. And then Paul says, so relating to how you be strong or how you endure in the gospel, you're going to need to be disciplined. You're going to need to be diligent. And just like an athlete, he says, an athlete, one who competes as an athlete, this is chapter 2, verse 5, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Immediately I thought of, I'm a cycling enthusiast, okay? Lance Armstrong. I always kept track of Lance Armstrong. I remember when he had a story, I think, in Guideposts magazine about how he went through cancer. Do you remember that? He claimed to be a born-again Christian from Texas, nonetheless. And he was cheating all along. He got on Oprah last week and finally confessed. Finally. For years and years and years, literally, he went on and berated people, made fun of people who even insinuated, even implied that he used drugs or used blood doping to win races. He won, won seven Tour de France's. The biggest cash prize, the biggest cycling race in the world. And I remember it was like, it was amazing. Seven medals. And nobody had ever come close to that. And it turned out to be a big fraud. But the soldier following Jesus Christ, the athlete on this race of faith, is disciplined. He's going to compete with the rules. Not like Lance Armstrong. God has grace for Lance Armstrong, too. I believe as a side note, that Lance could come and repent. And if he doesn't genuinely know Jesus Christ, he could come and receive full forgiveness. I'm praying for that. Wouldn't that be a cool story of grace? Everybody knows that Lance Armstrong is not perfect. And forever, everybody thought that he was. And I think he thought he was perfect too. But we don't operate in a race cheating on the rules. We're disciplined, we're diligent. A farmer who works hard gets his first share of the crops. When I was a little boy, I, uh, I wrote a letter to this farmer friend of my parents. He was a really neat Christian guy and lived up in the Thumb of Michigan, the Thumb mid-area mid around Bad Axe, Caseville. I don't know if anybody know, if anyone knows what that is. Yeah, It looks kind of like Iowa. It's really, really flat up there. Flat as a pancake. And when I was nine, I was nine years old, I wrote Mr. Deppner a letter. Can I come pick potatoes with you this summer? I think my mom encouraged me to do it, probably to get me out of the house. <laughs> and I said, and hoe your garden and stuff. And, and uh, he's, he and his wife, sweet, godly couple, brought me up to their house for two weeks, and I worked my tail end off. It was crazy. But I remember we would hoe the garden and the, the rewards of hoeing the garden, garden is a three-acre garden, too. Not a downriver garden size. A three-acre garden with an acre of corn and uh, an acre of, um, what else did he have? 
in his garden. All kinds of stuff. Lettuce and carrots and spinach. So we would immediately get fresh Michigan sweet corn off, off the stalk. You guys know what that's like, right? From Michigan, sweet corner, corn, yeah. And, and, uh, and fresh salad and stuff like that. That's the rewards of working hard, being right there in the midst of the work, being diligent, being disciplined. The same idea with the gospel. You've got to guard the gospel from people who want to distort it, build into other people's lives the way that someone's built into your life, but also endure in the gospel, even when suffering might come. There's, there's two main things in chapter 2 that we're just going to look really quickly, because I know we're, we're going kind of long. We read through the whole letter, but I, I think that's kind of cool anyways, that we read through the whole letter. One flyover. Hey, Second Timothy. It, was that all right? We read through the whole letter? Yeah? All right. Good. You guys were worrying me there for a minute. All right. Second Timothy. Youth group knows I do all sorts of weird things all the time. Adam's nodding, he said. Chapter 2, here it is, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. So he's saying, first to Timothy, remind yourself of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's how you're going to get through suffering. That's how you're going to be able to endure Remember what Jesus Christ suffered for your sake. Remember the gospel, the good news that Jesus Christ lived and suffered and died, but he rose again. There's eternal life. There is hope. There's a future that you don't have without Jesus Christ. Only through Jesus Christ there is hope, there is future. So when you're going through suffering, and it's only going to get worse, remember Jesus Christ. It's simple as that. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember the gospel. That's how you endure in the gospel. Remember him. And then to others, the imperative, and there are 25 imperatives in this, in this letter. The other one is remind others, verse 14, remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God to not wrangle about words. And so here it is. It's this idea of like keep the main thing the main thing. You, remember Jesus Christ, and to others, remind them of the same thing, that Jesus Christ... He, he lived a perfect and sinless life, suffered for our sins, died on the cross and rose again. That's how you will have hope in the midst of the suffering that you will for sure encounter as you follow Jesus Christ. But then others, they're going, as they follow you, face the same persecution. You remind them of these same things. And then keep the main thing the main thing. It's the gospel. So it makes sense. Don't Go crazy about the aorist subjunctive tense in the Greek language or other conjugations. I'm really good at that stuff. No, I'm not. I was, maybe when I was going in seminary. You go crazy about words you could argue all day long about, uh, you know, this word might mean this or might have this and write 29 pages on practically nothingness. There is place for good exegetical work. I mean, I, I did exegesis of, of, this, of this letter. But if you're in it for the argument and for the debate and for the discussion, that only ruins the hearers. That's what Paul says. It's worthless. If you're in it for the debate, for the argument, for the mere pride of puffing up pride of the discussion... Because it all comes back to remembering Jesus Christ. Keep it simple, the main thing. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Right, folks? So remember Jesus Christ. Remind others of Jesus Christ. Third chapter, continue in the gospel. 
How are you going to continue in the gospel? And then Paul goes on this laundry list of, but realize this, that in the last times, people will do all sorts of difficult, or all sorts of things, and difficult times will come for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, they'll seek pleasure, they'll love pleasure rather than God. That's our culture. That is. Things haven't changed much. And the way you're going to continue in the gospel when, say, for some of you guys, girls in college right now, or heading off into college, maybe if you're in high school right now, and everybody around you is living crazy lives. I know that's the case. I read the statistics. I've been on college campuses. I've been on high school campuses. They just assume pass out condoms rather than the Word of God. Okay? I've been to Oakland University on Valentine's Day. And it made my heart sick. So when everybody around you is loving pleasure rather than God, how are you going to continue in the gospel? It's through following the Word of God. That's the big idea. Verse 16 of chapter 3, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Okay, I talked to the high schoolers and college students, but for you, you in the workforce, it's the same deal. I've got a friend, Stephen, back there. He tells me, yeah, what the guys talk about at work sometimes. Maybe I'm saying too much, Stephen. I'm okay? All right. Yeah, I won't go into details. But it's hard, isn't it? It's crazy hard. Nobody is following God out there. That's what it looks like. Sure, there are people. But we are in the vast minority, not the vast majority. So, the man of God is rooted and grounded in the Word of God because that's his rule for all life and faith and practice. It's inspired, God-breathed. It's the very words of God, and through that, God works to change your life, to give you power so that you can continue on the path, to stay on the path. Realize the darkness of the times. Recognize how bad it really is and how easy you could fall and continue on the path by staying in the gospel. And then the fourth chapter, and we're almost done. Here it is. Guard the gospel, endure in the gospel, continue in the gospel, and preach the gospel. I have to say, this is kind of my favorite part. But, preach the gospel. And it's this climax, huge climax of the letter. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Preach the word. The school I attended had this huge stone kind of, I don't know, edifice. Uh, what would you call that? A, a, a giant sign, I guess, out in front. It was stone, and they had the words carved in it. Preach the word. It's, the, it's Dallas Seminary's motto. It's what they try to encourage every student to do. And many students continue to do that. But I know some who don't. There was one time they told us the story of a guy they thought would be the next Chuck Swindoll. You know, the great expositor, insight for living, author of 
50, 60 books. They thought, oh, this, this guy could be the next Chuck Swindoll. He's passionate. He's excited about the Bible. He's really diligent in his study. He's, he's great um, in front of people. He's got natural poise. And then things started to get difficult for this person when he entered the ministry. And he started listening to so-called agents who said, ah, you know, we've got a better deal over here with this motivational speaking deal. In fact, you get paid tons of money to do this. 45, 50 minutes, you know, light them up with jokes, motivate them, get them excited about our business conference, get tens of thousands of dollars. And he bought it. And he stopped preaching the word. You wouldn't even know his name. Yeah, he's in this motivational speaking circuit, but the Bible and God has almost nothing to do with anything he says in public anymore. You've got to be careful. Preach the word, not something else. The word is all of this message because it all points to Jesus Christ. It's the whole book. There's another way you could say that. It's herald the good news or herald the message. All of this points to Jesus Christ. It's all, in a sense, all the gospel. So preach the word when it's convenient or not. If you're suffering or if you're not suffering, if you're getting paid well or you're not getting paid at all for it, if, if people don't like you or if people like you, preach the word in season and out of season, when it's convenient or not. And he calls out some more names. Demas, verse 10 of chapter 4. Every time I read over that passage, I think about when I was Christian's age back there in the back row. Christian's normally in the front row. I don't know what you're doing back there tonight. When I was Christian's age, I had tons of friends. Tons and tons of friends. Like Christian, you got lots of friends probably. At school, at church. Probably have at least a thousand Facebook friends, right? Yeah. I was a people person, still am. I had lots of friends. 30 or 40 friends at church. And I can count on one hand, out of those friends, people who are actually still following Jesus Christ. I'm not exaggerating. On one hand, out of 30, 40, 50, 60 friends that I was close to, we played in the orchestra together. We went on mission trips together. We went to the nursing home and sang together. I can count on one hand the number of people who are still following, consistently following Jesus Christ. And maybe that's why I'm so passionate about youth ministry, because there's something about reaching this generation before they discard the gospel. And I'm really speaking to the young people now. You've got to endure in the gospel, continue in the gospel, and preach the gospel to yourself and to others, or you're going to be just like Demas. You'll be a shipwreck. Alexander the coppersmith, or the metal worker, caused him a lot of trouble. But then there are other people who comforted Paul and Timothy, Priscilla and Aquila, and he, earlier he mentioned Anesiris, he mentions, mentions him again, and Erastus and others. And then it's interesting because here at the end he mentions these Roman names. 
Paul still, even though he's been house arrest and now he's in a dark, cold dungeon, he's been reaching out to people. There's a work going on, even though he's in the dungeon. And people are coming to Jesus Christ, even while he's in a dungeon. Somehow, God's still at work. And so whenever you are in a place, maybe there will be a place for all of us where we will be in an environment of persecution or suffering. Don't think it's over. Or maybe when you're in a difficult job situation, like my friend Stephen, and you think, how am I ever going to reach these people? This is total darkness. Don't think it's over. Don't think it's over. You could still reach them. It's possible for God to bring people, any sort of person, even like Saul, who later became Paul, from darkness to light, if you preach the word. And so these are the four main things that I see just highlight in this kind of long flyover. Guard the gospel, endure in the gospel, continue in the gospel, and preach the gospel. And the big idea for everyone, including me, is live the gospel. Remember Jesus Christ. Remind others of Jesus Christ. Keep the main thing the main thing. And continue on this mission. Keep going. Keep on the path. Don't stop. Don't falter. You're going to face hardship. It's not going to be easy. But God will be with you. So remain faithful to the one who cannot deny himself. You catch that? Remain faithful to the one who will always be faithful because it's who he is. It's part of who he is. So live the gospel. These are the last words, and I hope that you hold on to the last words, just like I hold on to that last moment of communication with my grandma when she squeezed my hand twice, and as if to say, I love you. I love you. I know it's well with my soul, too. Even though she couldn't say anything. Hold on to these words. Don't forget them. Don't forget them. Live the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you tonight for your word, the inspired word. And Father, we pray that you would keep us in your love that you would watch over us and guide us and guard us. We pray, Father, that you would help us to remember your Son, Jesus Christ, in all that we do, that we would keep the main thing the main thing and not quarrel about silly things, not get caught up in arguments, but preach the gospel when it's convenient or not, when people like us or not, when, whether it's easy or not, whether suffering comes or not. We pray, Father, that you would, by your Spirit, fill us with boldness and strength to be faithful to you, the faithful God who loves us even so much to offer the gospel through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through his name we pray. Amen.